So hello, welcome to the Beats and Bleeps podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. Today I'm joined by Jim Fowler. Uh, how are you today, Jim? I'm good, thanks. Hi there. How are you? I'm I'm great, thank you. Um, so I mean, normally normally where I start uh, the interview is kind of your, your origin story, really, how you got into mm-hmm. working in music in general and then specifically your journey into writing soundtracks and working on soundtracks for video games. Right. Well, it's a, a long and involved saga. It's what <laughs> happens when you get to be my age. Um, but I, did, I was always doing like, music at school and stuff. That's yeah. The thing I enjoyed most. Um, I went to music college in Leeds to do a degree in jazz performance, the most useful of all the degrees <laughs> that you can do. Uh, I'm really events management happy. would be a. <laughs> <laughs> they'll be they'll be after you. <laughs> um, after that, I, uh, I I'd been performing. That was what I was doing up to that point. I kind of began to enjoy writing more than performing. Um, I started doing some sort of theatre stuff, music theatre, that kind of thing. Uh, about that, a few years later, did a master's in composing for the screen. <clears throat> uh, from that met someone who was working at Sony PlayStation who told me they had a job coming up on a new game they were doing called SingStar, if you remember. Yep. SingStar, and the competitive karaoke, competitive <laughs> singing, not karaoke. Um, and so I joined Sony just after the launch of the first SingStar, uh, transcribing songs, basically, listening to the songs, writing down the melody, sorting out the lyrics, uh, and then doing all the sort of gameplay markup and that kind of thing that was required to get it into game. Uh, I ended up um, managing the music team there at the sort of height of SingStar. I think we had, I think there were maybe 10 of us. Maybe yeah. it was never quite that many uh, transcribing and sort of dealing with all of that. And that was a great crash course in how games are made. Um, you know, because I was working with the designers on getting the stuff that they wanted to work musically. I was working with the tools programmers on how we could like streamline our process and, you know, um, and combine that kind of thing. Plus we were doing so many things start sort of at the end of PS2 when we were doing discs for Europe and the, the, the localized country discs, um, just the amount of betas and masters and QA cycles that we went through in a very short space of time was a good, uh, <laughs> good learning experience. While that was going on, I was writing the the menu music side of SingStar and doing little bits and bobs, helping out the uh, the central creative services music group that they had. And eventually, I slid over into that full time, um, writing for games and also doing orchestration and sort of general music stuff for people. So that's the potted. Uh, route. <laughs> so I guess in like obviously the doing the um, transcribing for SingStar, obviously there's mm-hmm. the, from from what you said about like your musical education doing mm-hmm. jazz composition and stuff. The the actual side of transcribing it was probably something you you know listening by ear and kind of working like that. But then actually how that works into mm-hmm. being programmed into a game was that like quite a baptism mm-hmm. of fire or. If, um, well, uh, to begin with, I was kind of isolated from that because it was literally just creating the files and putting it in. Yeah. I guess I'd always been 
tacky enough to understand, <clears throat> you know, bits and bobs of stuff. Um, and fundamentally, what ended up going in the game wasn't super hard to get your head around on yeah. my side. It's basically, the MIDI, you know, the file with the, the pitch um, would go into an XML file, basically, of uh, data of that, and we would assign lyrics to it in that. And you, so just tag things up and say, this is a bonus note, this is the chorus, this is the... <laughs> Um, and we worked on tools to to not have to write the XML, um, but uh, so that was not overly complex. Yeah, um, uh, you know it was fairly straightforward to get my head around, and certainly helpful in when I was talking to programmers with terrifying things up on their screen. I had no idea what it meant, but <laughs> I, could, I at least knew like what some of the syntax and the colours meant in terms of what vaguely they were looking at. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind of the the all round process of it. I think the um, the deadlines and the turnaround and the the sort of QA requirements and stuff that was more of a baptism baptism of fire. Yeah, you say? I think, and the whole thing was really fascinating for years of just constantly listening to what was popular pop music. It was quite a good. Uh, <laughs> it's just constant education in putting together a pop song. And because we were doing stuff, you know, we'd spend a month just listening to Polish R&B or Turkish pop or, uh, like, German Schlager music, which is, like, this kind of super cheesy summer, like, apres-ski pop stuff. Yeah. I mean, things that you wouldn't normally listen to necessarily <laughs> but you know you you kind of have to take the view that it's popular for a reason so there must be something yeah i mean that's just made me want to find some really obscure exclusive <laughs> like regional exclusives of uh some sing star games because mm-hmm. i mean i could just remember when probably yeah probably when they were kind of the height doing the little well, competitive singing, not karaoke, with uh, <laughs> with my mum in the eighties ones and stuff, and just oh, yeah. just having a great time. And so, you know, probably not the neighbours, but <laughs> that's their problem. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It was it was a really nice first thing in games to work on as well because people enjoyed it. Yeah, like, you know, which uh, it's not to say that people don't enjoy other things they've worked on, but um, you know, it, it's not always the case that things are. Like the games people get to work on are successful. Right? So yeah, it's nice to have a a thing that was just kind of unequivocally fun after the pub. <laughs> yeah, it, de- it definitely like appeared and then was just everywhere. And, yeah, uh, especially like yeah, as you said, the first things you work on to have have that level of success. And also, mm. it's one of those games that kind of crosses over into non-gamers. Yeah. So it's like if you actually mm-hmm. mentioned it to people that had nothing to do with games. So imagine you know you have those conversations. Oh, I work, I work for PlayStation. Like, oh, okay, is that, is that fun? Like, and then you say, oh yeah, make the do this on the SingStar games. Like, oh, I know them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's nice. Yeah, because normally you say and work on games, do music for games, and if it's not Call of Duty or FIFA, then uh, people tend not to have heard of it, and you know, good reason. Like, if you're not a, a gaming person, there's only sort of certain things that sort of permeate the consciousness of everyone uh, but yeah it was nice that people had uh, had heard of Singstar yeah 
So I mean, kind of going on from on from that before you mm-hmm. worked for um, like got the job working for Sony. Mm-hmm. Were, were you in inverted commas a game yourself? Did you play games or? Yeah, I did. Not like not hugely. Yeah. I think growing up, um, did a bit like when when parents got a, a PC, sort of bits of stuff on that, and yeah, um, my dad got an Acorn Electron that had a, a, a frogger clone on it. She used to play with my sisters. None of us were any good. We were far too little. And you, it was um, you know, it was on a tape, and you had to get the volume right on the tape machine for it to load. And my little sister was far too young to understand that. And we would spend ages trying to get the thing to load. She would change it. It was a disaster. Um, that's entirely tangential. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I guess, you know, I sort of housemates who had consoles I would play with them um I was always kind of spending my money on instruments and and and, and music and things to play for a long time so I kind of uh sort of when the opportunity arose at friends houses and things or flatmates houses then for sure I I wasn't uh ignorant of the gaming world yeah people playing Wipeout and Tomb Raider and um, fond memories of three of us taking it in turns, desperately trying to beat Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still think like there's a generation of people that are traumatised by certain levels on the original Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to play the remake, and obviously, you know, it's very uh, faithful. Accurate, and I had forgotten how hard games used to be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nothing like a reminder. I, I say I play. I think it's probably about. Two, it's probably when that remake came out. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this this will be fun. And then it's like mm-hmm. the first bits, it's like the the swarm of nostalgia. And it's like, oh, this is mm-hmm. oh, this is what I remember. This is what I remember. Then you yeah. get to that bit, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot it was horribly difficult. But then, yeah. as an adult, you you can't spend all night doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm going to put this down and never come back to it. Yeah, I was like, surely it'll come back to it. I played so much of this; it's be locked away in there somewhere. I had to play it, and like my reactions are, uh, are not what they were. <laughs> <laughs> It's like continuing on your your mm. career at PlayStation. I mean, some of the games you you worked on, like Little um, Little Big Planet. Um, mm-hmm. You did some trailer music for Wipeout twenty forty eight. Yeah. So when I was still on SingStar, so I had a kind of production job, really, in terms of managing the team and uh, and dealing with schedules and getting stuff done. So the music stuff I did helped out on was all smaller projects. Yeah. So there were. Mm. Yeah, so sort of often putting trailers to, together. So, yes, I did. I'm trying to think. Yes. And do, I don't entirely remember <laughs> what, it, uh, what it was, but yeah, I did. And so, with, um, cause with, with what your work on Little Big Planet, there's mm. quite a f- It gets confusing because, uh, in my head, because there's like the PSP one. Which is called mm-hmm. Little Big Planet. That's a different game from the one called Little Big Planet that's on the PS3. Yeah. But you, mm-hmm. with that, you did some compositions. Did you write some tracks for that? Or was yeah, it... so for the PSP version, uh, I wrote all the original music for that. Okay, so the, there's all the licensed stuff as well in that Little Big Planet way. But yeah, I wrote all the sort of different world mini games and bits and bobs and stuff. Obviously, it's not 
like super involved like the the console versions are because the PSP wasn't able to have all those different tracks playing and let the user yeah. uh, do stuff. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the first project I did all the music on. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, that's kind of trying to think of the timeline, but coming into that, that was kind of quite an established IP at that point. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, the first one, obviously. Otherwise, the, there wouldn't have been a PSP one. But uh, the first one was there. I, I can't remember if the second one had come out yet. I don't think the second one had come out yet, I think, because uh, uh, Cambridge, Sony Cambridge, made the PSP version. Yeah. And I think that may have been while Media Molecule were developing the second one. Um, yeah, I think it must have been. It must have been. And I mean, the, the, I say like, I think the other, other few things I noticed you worked on the um, Book of Spells, which is mm-hmm. like part of the Harry Potter universe. So, mm-hmm. I mean, was it, it, with that, there's a kind of like a bit of not nerves, but kind of because it's it, it's such a well known thing, and it's always always got like it's its own sound that people associate it with. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're definitely something like that there's an element of I mean, in a way we were fortunate that um we weren't going to be using any of the film music scenes yeah. that wasn't part of the deal and also at that point it was kind of at the time of when they were beginning to figure out what the extended harry potter universe was i guess because right? it's, it's, it's a bit more established now in things that don't have Harry Potter and his gang in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we felt like since this was the Harry Potter universe but not Harry Potter, it was okay not to be using any of those film scenes because that's kind of about them. Um, but there's definitely like an orchestral tone and a feel to that that needed to be included Yeah, for sure. Um but at the same time, you know, uh, A, didn't want it to sound like the film, and B, it really couldn't sound like the films, and we would have got in trouble if it did sound like the films. Yes. <laughs> you know, but, um, so we didn't want to be doing sound-alike things, you know, like, oh, it sounds a bit like Hedwig's scene, but it isn't Hedwig's scene, you know. Um, but I think we were... Like, with all these things, you kind of find the way into the project, right? And this one was... The idea of this was it's a, a spell book that's been found in the library. It hasn't been opened for 100 years or something. It was yeah. written uh, or hasn't been opened 200 years, I don't remember. But, um, so that kind of led us with that to the idea that the music would be initially sort of of the time it was written and first opened. And uh, so the beginning chapters of it are really uh, a sort of late classical early romantic kind of vibe to yeah. them um with me and uh joe Swates, the composer on the team it's only and then sort of as, as each chapter went on uh we kind of went forward in musical history so that by the final chapter where it was all oh you've got all the spells and fighting people um that was more kind of early 20th century film music yeah. kind of vibe to it and that helped give a framework as well to sort of uh 
that gave a shape to like how the music was progressing and, and, and what it was and gave it its own identity. Yeah. That was kind of like quite uh, interesting to know because like, it's always like the passage of time through the game mm. and actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, was that sort of just a decision you made from like the composition side or is that something that like other people kind of like oh it'd be really nice if we did that like from the development side or the you know the main no it was just kind of a a composition framework for us yeah that was the sort of that was our way we we thought of about telling the story you know and it kind of worked because the earlier chapters where you're learning things are simpler and the spells are light and it's you how to turn on a light how to do this and then by the end it's how to do the, the uh whatever it's called, the, the Patronus, that one, and, you know, the bigger deal things where you want sort of more dramatic music. Yeah, that was cool. I mean, I think people sometimes don't appreciate, like, even that sort of level of thought that goes into it. It's like, oh, we'll just write, you know, 13 songs for each each little level or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, there's, you know, there's progression in that in terms of, like, actually linking it to other things, like, you know, the history yeah. of music and stuff. That's, mm-hmm. really, that's really interesting to know. I think some of that well, it's kind of for you as the composer to help you get started and figure through it and you kind of I guess hope that people won't notice that if you say, if you say I mean you kind of you know you want it to be giving people the feeling and maybe someone stops and listens and spots it but, um, but yeah it's kind of you have to have particularly on something like that where internally we were kind of the music supervisors as well because it's all an internal thing so so rather than someone having already figured it out and coming to us and saying, like, you do music that's a bit like this. Yeah. And going, all right, then, it, of all the music that exists in the known universe, what shall this music be like? You kind of have to put some kind of a box around it at some point just to be able to figure out what you're doing, even if you then ignore the box and do something else. But you have to kind of, I, I, I do anything. It's just me. I have to compartmentalize a little bit. Let's go right. It's definitely not going to be uh, bluegrass. So we'll cut that one out for sure. Probably not going to be salsa. So we won't. Yeah, I mean, I imagine if someone just goes, "Yeah, write some music," and it's like, and anything else you want to add to help me with that? <laughs> so yeah, you kind of just end up, you know, have well, yeah, say what you do, like compartmentalize it and kind of like. Mm-hmm build some kind of structure in your head of how you want things to be and yeah. how you want things to fit into the into the game as it progresses and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah and then once you have that, you're kind of free to wander around and, and leave the path if that's where it takes you and stuff. But, uh, yeah. Like any of these things, I think, getting started is always the, the tricksy bit. Yeah. Obviously, with a lot of the um, things you did while uh, at PlayStation's... Mm-hmm. Um, was like orchestration mm-hmm. i mean from from someone that has very very limited knowledge and in, in that side of things so what what would that actually entail would that just be kind of someone's made some music and then you kind of pull the parts apart to make it playable by an orchestra yeah pretty much you kind of you uh yeah fundamentally it's uh getting the stuff onto some pieces of paper so the orchestra can read it and yeah. play it um there's some, uh, like, depending on how busy the composer is and, uh, and where it's at in the project, there are different bits and bobs that need to be done. Often you're working from someone's, like, sample MIDI mock-up yeah. of the original thing, and uh, an acoustic orchestra playing together in a space 
doesn't always behave the same as samples. So some of it is, <clears throat> in terms of the sounds that they've created, is to go, all right, well, to achieve that, we need to do this with the acoustic players. So there's just a, there's a little bit of translation sometimes. Like, yeah. It's like porting the track <laughs> to the orchestra. Um, and, you know, there can be a little bit of just sort of going through and just tidy up odds and ends of stuff sometimes, you know. Um, basically just about making sure that what the composer wants to hear after we've recorded is is what they hear. Yeah. It's kind of kind of a bit like the opposite of what you were doing on SingStar then, is taking a sample <laughs> yeah. and making it into a computer. You're taking the mm-hmm. sampled thing to make it yeah. sound as it is by mm-hmm. by real real uh, people playing it. So mm-hmm. following on from that, obviously one of the really, really cool things that you did while at um, PlayStation was the PlayStation in concert mm-hmm. orchestration for that. So it was that, I mean, how how did that come about? I'm guessing it was just they wanted that an event. Was, yeah, I mean, that was super fun. So somebody at Sony was talking to somebody at the RPO, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. I'm not sure where it began, whether the RPO approached Sony and said, do you have any music? Whether someone at Sony approached Sony, there's probably a bit of back and forth up to the point that it became a, let's do a PlayStation concert. Um, and then uh, there was some, initially I think we were sort of helping come up with what might the pieces be, what might the shape of it be, and we sort of ended up being a journey through PlayStation music. Yeah. Um, so then the audio director, Al Lindsay at the time, I guess, was saying, well, someone's going to need, we're going to need to organise someone to arrange this. And and coordinate with the composers on the to get the recording scores for the later stuff. And I uh, think I just probably said, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was not initially their plan, but it just seemed like so much fun, potentially, yeah. that I kind of uh, uh, dug my heels in and I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Um, and it was great fun. I mean, the first half, there was lots of uh, arranging of things for the orchestra. Started with the Crash Bandicoot medley, which uh, came the nostalgia fun. Give the uh, xylophone player a workout, <laughs> all that stuff. Um, and that kind of thing, that kind of arranging for orchestra, you're trying to like, you don't want to lose what it was that made it a good piece of music that people liked in the first place. But also, you don't want to have the orchestra playing sort of weird stuff that's not orchestral, otherwise yeah. it's not a concert. So that was the fun of trying to find that. That's great. The gardens from Little Big Planet, that was a lot of fun. And with a lot of those early ones, all I really had was like the original stereo recordings. My files are out, so I had to kind of sing style training and to transcribe <laughs> it all and then, and then convert it into into that. And I, um, I the thing I liked best doing was we separated, announced each section, I orchestrated the uh, startup sounds of the different consoles. Oh, that's cool. So we started the concert with an orchestral version of the PS1 startup <laughs> and, uh, and and so on whichever one is the orchestra tuning up was obviously the easiest to 
organized but for my own satisfaction i transcribed the original orchestra tuning up of the sound and made them play tuning out <laughs> in that way it's not necessary but it amused me <laughs> and then yeah and then the sort of second half was more because it was more recent stuff where it had been recorded for orchestra already um sort of the uh the recording scores and in some case concert versions of the scores were available um so they didn't necessarily exactly match the lineup of the orchestra because often you know something will have some extra brass or something yeah. um in some cases the composers dealt with that themselves before sending it over a couple of cases i just made some tweaks for them sent it back for them to sign off but uh yeah it was great fun it was a lot of work my uh, my proofreading got exceptionally good because um you know, when you're recording, so you want it to be correct and you don't want to be wasting a load of time dealing with typos on the session. But if you can't quite decide whether something should be this loud or that loud when you're writing the score, you know you've got time in the session to go, oh, I will do it this way, that way. With this, and this is the nature of orchestras and concerts and things. There was one rehearsal and then there was the performance. So if it wasn't right on the paper, it was going to be wrong in there concept so really couldn't have any typos or slip <laughs> things because we just didn't have the time to uh, be contending with that kind of thing so it was an unexpected uh, bonus it's um, now really good at proofreading schools <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean if there's if you know if you're going to have that one orchestra that you probably don't want to be like responsible <laughs> for them for something being wrong like the Royal Philharmonic is like oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in, ter- in terms of like the the tracks that were picked, was that kind of? Mm. Did you have any sort of influence on that, or was that like a decision that was? Um, so I kind of there was a big master list of things um, that had been sort of seen by people, and uh, you know, like people had submitted. But in terms of creating the flow of the concert and picking from that, that was to some extent on me more in the first half you know, with some of the sort of older things of picking um, what we were going to do but uh, it kind of chose itself to some extent for the second half I guess because it was a bit more recent yeah. so you know there's got to be Uncharted there's got to be God of War you know um, and then you kind of uh the decision is what from that and for some of those you know they already there's already a concert version yeah that's great uh and yeah the first half is some of the sort of older japanese things and stuff and uh james marshall who's a music supervisor at sony was kind of resident old games (laughs) master so he uh he was the one kind of saying uh you know, oh, we really should try and have uh, some of, uh, I've forgotten the name of it, but uh, yeah, and, uh, obviously Resident Evil and things like that, sort of. And it was, um, were, I, some of that earlier stuff as well was tricksy because you kind of go, oh yeah, that's a really PlayStation, Sony game, and you go, oh, but it wasn't made by Sony early on, Sony don't actually own any rights to it, so it's going to be too difficult to find out who owns the rights to do a version so some stuff kind of excluded it 
cells like that. And some things sort of aren't available. You know, uh, Final Fantasy and stuff, Final Fantasy has its own concerts and its own yes. thing. Um, and it's not just PlayStation. It's only so kind of... Uh, we decided not to try and include that kind of thing. Just and just sort of keep it PlayStation, PlayStation, you know. yeah, exclusives you know. as such. Yeah, yeah, that's all. I mean, it's look looking at the set list is kind of like a, what you would expect, like a greatest hits of mm-hmm. of PlayStation. So you know, it's kind of yeah, kind of what you what was set out to do. I mean, is um, yeah. other than some. Uh, questionable recordings on youtube is there is there any way to actually see it or unfortunately there's not um i don't know i guess too much time has probably passed yeah for there ever to be but um it would it did get recorded but i think probably the uh, the vast number of rights and things that have to be uh, coordinated on that front i mean that's uh they might not ever see the light of day. Yeah, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll be a repeat performance. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it'd definitely be something that would be excited to to go and watch and stuff. If they, if it was to ever happen again, obviously there's yeah. there's now there'll be now new bits as well that can be added. Mm-hmm. As times pass, so you know that's uh, yeah. it's um yeah, it's the whole the whole sort of new generation that can be added mm-hmm. but, I mean, yeah, yeah. kind of going back to what you say like a lot of the games now are being written with an orchestral score in mind mm-hmm. so it's not like the older games that were very much like well i mean even even the first playstation games were still mm-hmm. full audio as such but yeah it was it wasn't like um as expansive yeah. and as much many um as much money spent on recording mm-hmm. a soundtrack for them yeah i think there was certainly earlier on there's a budget restriction just that you know it's not really a proven thing at that point and yeah. it is quite expensive to hire a studio that's big enough to record an orchestra around all the people and stuff so i guess it yeah it probably took took a little while before people were willing to risk that kind of money yeah oh definitely and now it's now there's lots of money being spent <laughs> <laughs> so you go like for your um sort of process for mm. you kind of kind of elaborated on how you kind of compartmentalize um mm. what you kind of want to write for what sort mm. of your process when you kind of go like i need to write a song that's this genre or this kind of feeling do you do you start like do you start playing on an instrument or do you just kind of yeah that's always the kind of that's the tricksy yeah <laughs> very floaty one right that's the one where you get up in the morning and go oh god i i think i've forgotten how to write music I don't <laughs> any um but you things kind of come to you and i guess they come in whatever your style of thing is you know even if it's you know, write a funk track it's probably going to sound like a funk track that i wrote in some way or write it um but yeah i will often just sort of start noodling about on the piano yeah and I often there'll be references that, like the the uh, game directors and audio directors have kind of, you know, these are the kind of feels. So listen to that 
a whole bunch. Um, I'll have my own thoughts about what might work. I haven't begun that, but yeah, I'll sit and play the piano and like, write random <laughs> the tape I am showing Anthony, a bit of sheet music that I've scrawled all over. Um, uh, you know, so the, the room sort of ends up getting covered in random little bits of that um, that I then never use. It's kind of about fiddling your way towards what the thing is and, and it kind of one day it announces itself, hopefully. Um, I don't always start on the computer just because I find there's a tendency there to like, have a little idea, record it, and then either spend ages just fiddling with that sort of, you know, what if this, what if that, or to go, right, there's a little idea, I don't have to remember that because it's there. Yeah. Um, whereas if you can sit at the piano, you kind of have to work out what it is before you write it down, otherwise you're writing forever. That's always, uh, I find that helpful. And also, you know, you can get up the next day and go, oh, I can't remember how that thing went. It probably wasn't a good idea then. And you wake <laughs> up and you can remember, and you're like, all right, that was... Uh, that's got something to say for itself. And then I guess when it kind of starts coming together, that's when it starts to go on the computer to bring all of her instruments and stuff into it. Yeah, exactly. So once, yeah. And sometimes, you know, like if it's more of a track or a jazz thing or, or something, sometimes it goes, you sort of start straight at, in the computer because you want to like record some bits of bass and guitar or, you know, just when when the piano isn't a good substitute for the sounds, then it can be used. But but yes, once you sort of, once there begin to be some ideas and some ideas of what the arrangement is, then you sort of start to go into the computer and flesh that stuff out and and flesh it out. But that's just, that's my my process for doing things. Other people have different ways of doing it. I find it helps organise my brain a bit to work it out on the piano first. That sounds good. I mean, looking through the, um, I've just got like your sort of credits up on the, mm-hmm. on your website. Um, so like kind of going through some more recent mm-hmm. games um, you've worked on. There was Blood and Truth, which obviously was a mm-hmm. VR game. I mean, was yeah. did you have to think of anything different with it being VR at all? Or Yeah, I mean, we did think about it. Well, obviously, that was when I was still saying we'd been working on VR stuff for a while there'd been the sort of the little vignettes game that we'd made before and obviously being internal there'd been lots of prototyping and stuff going on so we'd been thinking about what vr music might be um for blood and truth it's kind of such a traditional sort of blockbustery action game that it didn't want to be too crazy what we found was when the music is more traditional in a VR game, you kind of just want it to go to stereo. You yeah. know, when it's just like when the score is just there in a like a film or a, a non-VR game, um, you're so used to having headphones on and having music go into them that it doesn't feel weird to have that happen. And we tried, you know, like making a fake surround in binaural audio that you could move around in, and that was just that made you kind of go, "Where's this orchestra?" and then you have all kinds of problems of do the imaginary surround speakers stay where they are when you move in them which then makes you feel like there's some in the space or do they move with you which is then like you've got 
like a weird surround rig strapped to you. It was sort of, I found that kind of thing could be really jarring with more traditional score sounding music. But also there are really cool things you can do. Um, Joe sorted most of these because he's a crazy wizard with that kind of thing. Um, in the uh, in the sharp cage descent of the PSVR worlds, there's a bit where you go past jellyfish. Jellyfish, yeah. And as you look at them, because we know where we're looking, they subtly play different synth notes oh, cool. that are binaurally positioned to where the thing is. Um, and then you've got like a bed of ambient music, so you get this kind of generated ambient soundscape that's all potted all around. That was really cool. The prototype was a little trippy. Uh, <laughs> just testing that it worked, but it was pretty cool. Um, and in Blood and Truth, the various cool things, because obviously you can place music in the world, like coming from a stereo or coming from this or that. So we did that a few times and something that Joe put together. There's a bit where you break into a club owned by the the baddie and you're you know, chasing down, but when you break in, you're in the DJ booth. So you can uh, play with the DJ booth and uh, you can scratch and you know, play the sound effects and all that kind of thing with the you know with the VR stuff, and that's all fun. Um, and then uh, the track that plays, and I've forgotten whose it was, that was a, a licensed dance track. Um, oh, gone completely out of my brain. It's terrible. Um, but we, uh, so that's all coming from the speakers in the club. So the kind of binaural audio treatment makes it seem like you're in the club. Understand? When the baddies come in and start shooting at you, the orchestral score starts. But it's an orchestral sort of score that works with the licensed track and yeah. is in sync with it. So that's playing to the headphones, but the the club is playing around you at the same time so yeah. you're kind of all immersed in it and then when the DJ booth gets exploded that's where we kind of collapse the whole thing into just being in your ears it's a similar bit early on where there's a track playing on the radio in a jeep and as you're attacked like uh, an orchestral arrangement of that track starts playing uh, uh, over the top so you can do quite fun things like that and Blood and Truth was kind of a little bit tongue in cheek and quite over the top so you could sort of get away with that drawing attention to yourself kind of thing. And it's the kind of thing that might happen in a film. Yeah. And so you can sort of play around with that kind of trope. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like... So with the VR, you kind of got the two different sort of ways of looking at it, where mm -hmm. you've got... If you've got a soundtrack, it's it's a soundtrack. It exists as music mm -hmm. that's not in the game world you're in. Yeah. And obviously what you're saying about the DJ booth with having like where the DJ... Uh, the nightclub sorry and like mm -hmm. you've got the music in the game and then you've got mm -hmm. the game soundtrack and it's yeah that's yeah. it's very cool like thinking of it like you kind of in my head it looked like looking at that problem like oh i'd want to really separate them so it doesn't bleed and then you kind of lent into it completely the other way and just gone mm -hmm. no let's let's do this and yeah, I mean, I've, I've, it's one that like I was looking at. It's like I really want to play this, but I don't have a VR thing, and <laughs> I, I have the horrible feeling I'll be one of those people that gets like motion sickness or something from them. Well, I mean, this was, I think, we spent so long. At, well, I say we, you know, the developers and particularly the dev team, working on what makes people feel sick and what doesn't, and really trying to 
avoid as much as possible all the things that give people motion sickness. And there are various people at work who got really bad motion sickness from the VR if you did the wrong things. Yeah. So um, I think by by blood and truth, by the time that, I think had a really good handle on what does and doesn't. And it has the advantage, I think, you know, of because it's on the Sony platform, it's got to go through the QA the same as everything else. Yeah. That it's a bit more stringent on how it makes players feel than maybe something, a more open platform where, you know, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. So, you know, you might not... Uh, you might not get fired into space from ground on on a PSVR game, um, but you can you know, you can you can feel safe that you're probably not going to be made unnecessarily unwell. It's always a ringing endorsement. <laughs> Play this, you probably won't feel unwell, but yeah, I mean it's it, it's hard because it's the the future of gaming. We were promised mm. like however many years ago and it's actually happening and it doesn't really people use it obviously but it doesn't seem to have the massive fanfare that before it would yeah i think it's probably going to be a slow drip but i think it's one of those things that for the technology to get to the point of um you know sort of mass appeal you know you can just you put it on you plug it in you don't have to calibrate it you don't have to understand how it works you don't have to do anything you don't have to upgrade your PC to make it work, you know, you know all of those things. Um, and it, and you know it won't make you sick and it, uh, all of that stuff. I think for that to happen, people have to be developing it. And to, for them to be able to develop it, then there has to be some kind of income stream because that's how businesses and capitalism works. Um, <laughs> so I think probably we're in that position where it's viable enough that people are making it and developing it and people are discovering what you can and can't do. Um, but I think, it's just my thoughts, but I think that kind of big fan for, da-da, VR is amazing and now it works. That's probably not going to happen. I think it will probably sort of slowly drip, drip in. I think someone needs to set up a VR arcade in the, in the interim because for a lot of people it's difficult to justify the purchase of a VR, you know, for the amount of content or the amount of use they'll get out of it. But if they could go, you know, like the old days, yeah. you go to an arcade and just play it for a little bit, that would probably give it more traction. Well, that's it's funny, funny you say that, because um, <laughs> me and my girlfriend are going to one in a few weekends' time. But I don't, I don't know if it's like a, an arcade as such or like right. a, a VR experience. But... Yeah find out if i get motion sickness from it so <laughs> uh-huh. yeah I, mean, I feel like the last two years may have put people off going places and putting something on on their face that someone else has just put on their face but <laughs> yeah that's true i kind of i mean it's one of those I mean, things yeah, where people have uh, slipped consciousness a little bit but then you kind of think about it it's like oh we're still living in very weird times but you know things get clean and stuff <laughs> well we hope so but yeah so. <laughs> so you go in like with yourself um mm. you mentioned obviously the jazz composition route you yeah. went down at uni i mean what's what sort of um like bands musicians uh like are your influences as such and or like what kind of stuff do you listen to on a day-to-day basis the, the tricksy one 
any <laughs> any and all music. Um, all of the above. I, yeah. But, or in terms of listening on a day-to-day basis, nothing, because you have one of the few jobs where you can't listen to music while you're working. <laughs> it's always a, a pain. Um, like when I was playing in jazz and like Herbie Hancock always, especially the 70s funk yeah. stuff, and still happily just listen to that endlessly on loop. Um, I, when I was just sort of sort of getting ready to go to music college and uh, uh, thinking about composing myself, I was loved, still loved, but like listened to endlessly a uh, British jazz composer called Django Bates. Okay. And he had, um, which is, is all quite crazy, sort of 90s avant-garde jazz stuff with weird time signatures and nasty chords and I don't listen to it as much because my wife will uh, not have it in the house but <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of thing but that I think that was a really big influence on me him and stuff around then and then um you know it's, it's hard to say I think you know it's one of those things right but like I was, I, I was trying to think like what what would I at any point, whatever mood I'm in, be happy if it came on shuffle. You know, because even if there's stuff you like, sometimes oh, I'm this. Yeah, I feel like if any Stevie Wonder came on, that would be fine. Yeah, the band, that would be fine. Divine Comedy, Saint Vincent, um, that kind of thing, and then yeah. like classical stuff. I think Ravel is like my. I think yeah, you were saying about what's your starting point. I think probably my starting point is always anything I write starts sending like Ravel. That's the initial, <laughs> and then it's a process of removing the Ravel from it and finding out what it might be. Yeah, so kind of kind of like quite a mix of what what you would listen to. Mm. Like. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the rare instances I think Stevie Wonder and Saint Vincent may have been mentioned in the same sentence, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I just, uh, I really like music as well, so, <laughs> like any music. And I think I also particularly, because you never know what someone might ask you to write. I yeah, think when I, you know, when you hear something that's on the radio or something or, or you know, that's popular or they're going to be banned, even if it's not something I would choose to listen to, I think there's got to be, there, you know, people like this. So there's something in this that people, that speaks to people. So yeah. So we try and might not speak to me, but I can maybe try and figure out what it is that speaks to them. Yeah. Yeah, I think the philosophy is like you may may end up maybe not now you you kind of get to pick and choose what you, you write for, but if when you're working at Sony they're like, We need someone to write a soundtrack that's hardcore techno, so mm-hmm. you kind of need to be like, Well, people like this even if I don't don't know. If you mm-hmm. like hardcore techno, you might love it. But <laughs> yeah. I'm so terrible with synths when it comes to composing that that would be my absolute nightmare, not for musical reasons, <laughs> technical reasons. Do, do an orchestra, uh, an orchestrated version of it. That'd be, yeah. be something. That's <laughs> <laughs> the solution. Um, so, yeah, keep, keep him like going forward with the games mm-hmm. you worked on. Obviously, you've done um, a lot of orchestration uh, for games, Jessica Curry's mm-hmm. soundtrack for, and then. Little Orpheus, which has mm-hmm. just been finally released on mm-hmm. PCs yes. and Switch uh-huh. and such. Um, so 
yeah, I mean, that game's obviously a space age, 60s, mm-hmm. Soviet Russia, a TV show, very, mm-hmm. very silly, lots of stuff going on. I mean, how how was that getting into the, the sort of headspace of writing something like that? That was great fun. It's so, I mean, it was really nice working with Jess on it and sort of batting ideas back and forth to begin with. But um, it sort of had such a clear world, right? It was like an American idea of what a 1960s Russian B-movie might be, right? Yeah. Like, it's not actually, you know, although there's lots of sort of Russian phrases and gags and things in there, you know, it's aesthetically, that was kind of the vibe to some extent. And so that kind of led itself into, you know, like it's, Ray Harryhausen film or uh, that kind of score, that kind of swashbuckling thing or, a uh, you know, Land Before Time or Land of the Giants, Time Tunnel, those kind of TV things with the last time on, all of that business. <laughs> but then also with that Russian flavour, but we really didn't want to be like Red Army Choir marching, yeah. that kind of Russian, because it didn't feel like the right kind of Russian for the, the game. It's not that kind of song of the Volga Boatman kind of thing. Um, I was thinking about that kind of early uh, 20th century through the 20s and 30s Russian music and not necessarily like the more bombastic stuff, but things like Shostakovich's jazz suites where he did kind of jazz through the lens of Shostakovich in an orchestra kind of thing and um, like his arrangement of T for Two and stuff, which is great and ridiculous but like i think apparently it's called tahiti trot and apparently did it on a bet i remember the timeline but him <laughs> and a friend who's a conductor maybe had a record of it or something and the friend bet him that he couldn't on a single hearing write an orchestral arrangement of it in three hours or something <laughs> i forget the exact details but it's uh, it's an impressive thing nonetheless um so that kind of began to filter into what like the sound was like that combination of swashbuckling, but those kind of sort of what slightly off kilter ensembles of that Russian stuff and began to feel like woodwinds was like felt to us like had like a Russian vibe to it and like high bassoon playing melodies and stuff, yeah. slightly folky things or that kind of thing. So it, it was kind of leaning more into that idea of Russian music and the, the marching uh, army guys kind of thing um, and the sort of folky element to it but we, did, you know, the idea was never to be doing Russian pastiche, it's not like a pastiche of Peter and the Wolf or something yeah. it's, it's kind of that's the initial kicking off point that's like the flavours that are going into the pot that gets stirred around with the story and, and our own ideas and styles and stuff and and that's kind of what comes out. But, and Prokofiev, for sure, was a big... His, like, slightly off melodies, where you hear them first and you think, that's pretty tune, and you hear it again and go, it's pretty tune, but there's some weirdness going on. <laughs> and, you know, or, like, you know, the sleigh ride, the troika that was used in that pop song. So it's, like, really pretty tune, but then there's all kind of... And I say, it's like, right, well, we'll have them playing in two different keys at the same time. And, you know, or whatever. So that kind of off kilterness felt like 
the right kind of thing for this story about a guy who has lost a nuclear bomb under Earth, the Earth, and is spinning a series of ridiculous tales to the general to avoid getting court-martialed. I mean, yeah, like from the other good thing as well, kind of two things from that, is like, it kind of, from what you said, like the brief of the game idea, it's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what the West World thought that time was like, mm-hmm. and like the music's very much like, ah, oh, this is like, you know, the kind of like folky, kind of like, but like, yeah, they're all playing on these instruments, not like the sort of like marching band kind of thing, but it's, yeah, it's like, oh, this is like a quirky what I imagine the music for like the intro music for a Russian sitcom would have been at the time mm-hmm. or something yeah, exactly. like that. Yeah. Um, I forgot what the other point I was going to make was. That's gone. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. The other thing is because it's kind of set up as as like a TV show with the episodes mm-hmm. and stuff. You've you've got like the actual theme tune as well, and that's really cool because mm-hmm. it's kind of like you get to the end of the episode, you got the little narrator mm-hmm. aside, but where you may finally find out what's actually going on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of like the sort of like ongoing jokes throughout it as well and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, I always find like, it's what one thing I kind of love about those sort of like games that have clearly had like a very specific vision and they've just like really nailed the sense of humour in it and mm-hmm. it just works really well. But then that kind of like goes, you know, if you had had something that wasn't, light and fun and bouncy in the music it kind mm. of wouldn't work but the, the key thing i think that we all decided that we all felt jess and me and uh dan pinchbeck creative director wrote the script um was like the general might not believe the stories that ivan is telling and the, the player of the game might not believe the stories that ivan is telling. Ivan might not even believe the stories that Ivan's telling, but the music absolutely believes yeah. the story that Ivan's telling. It's like it's never at any point undercutting him or saying a wink wink or oh, it's not happened. It's always like, yeah, yeah. he absolutely got chased by dinosaurs, definitely got swallowed by a whale infested with worms. <laughs> and I think that was important, like with all the Technicolor stuff and all of that, just to be that, you know, the. The player doesn't need an extra person nudging and winking in the music, going, "Hey, hey might not be real, might it?" <laughs> they already get that. Yeah, I mean, the um, it's going back to when you're saying about the the dinosaur chase mm-hmm. section and stuff. Like, I know there was I was reading something um, about like the programming and writing the side where you're mm-hmm. hiding in the egg and you take steps and it plays. Mm-hmm. Like, was that something you kind of knew you wanted when you knew that section was happening and then it was how yeah. do we do this when we watched the first playthrough of that we were both oh well i mean that needs to have cartoon footsteps on it right that's yeah. uh that's a given um and obviously you know the the, the first end we're doing that just have a bunch of pity footsteps i thought oh, it'd be nice if it kind of played the tune that's been playing through the level as you paced out but, all right well that's doable because it's a set amount of time across the bridge so we can just count how many footsteps it takes to get over because it's always the same number of footsteps yeah um like oh but what if the player goes backwards we need to know what direction they're going and do we then play the tune backwards <laughs> so we're going, oh no what if the player goes backwards the music doesn't play and it doesn't start again until they got to where they were in the tune yeah as kind of a signal that they're going the right way right yes perfect now 
let's tell programming that we need to do that. <laughs> so, that is beyond the uh, beyond the, the scripting capabilities of the uh, the, uh, the middleware and stuff. So, which they did a great job of. It kind of yeah, it's fun. It's basically just sort of puts a little gate in and counts how many footsteps, knows which way you're going, and uh, uh, yeah, and it is literally it's the same trigger in game that would ordinarily be triggering Ivan's footsteps sound effects. Just triggers some pizzicato instead. It worked really well. People seem to like it a lot, which was uh, really nice. That uh, yeah, that's kind of a moment where you want people to notice that it's happening. Yes, a deliberate bit of silliness. <laughs> the best kind of silliness uh-huh. <laughs> yeah i mean like the way the kind of bits of the music that did interact with the game mm-hmm. kind of always played on the ridiculousness of it all mm-hmm. that's really cool i mean was there challenges with i know you the similar sort of thing the um narration the two characters ivan and mm-hmm. the general talking where that was triggered did you kind of have to think about the music at those points if like you know is it going to have music or is it going to be dropped yeah. into the background or more subtle? yeah we thought about that a lot and often there isn't music when like uh, when you're playing the levels and there's narration yeah. during that then their music plays if it's appropriate to the gameplay and stuff yeah. um but always kind of knowing that there's probably some fear at the top. for the more cutscene things and go well does this need any music actually like the the two performances are really compelling and it's good to listen to it doesn't often doesn't really need any help yeah. in music so you kind of save the music for those moments of gameplay and stuff and and have it just be about the kind of magic and wonder of this world and not about the uh the grey box that Ivan is currently being interrogated in. <laughs> so, so the music stays out there, except at the very beginning when there's kind of an intro thing. But, um, the trickier thing was uh, the next time on and previously on at the end and beginning of the episodes, because that, you know, in a TV-ish way, needed to be um, the same every week. You know, every episode, it should be the same bit of music that you recognise. Um, but obviously the the bits of narration from the announcer are not exactly the same length every yeah. time, different words um, which you know can be fine you just uh, sort of rejig it to match timing wise and, but just the nature of the schedule meant that we had to record before they'd done the pickups on the dialogue so we didn't although we knew how long the scratch dialogue was we didn't know how long the final performances were going to be so in the end we did that music interactively so that it didn't matter how long the performances were yeah. <laughs> so it's like so it wasn't for gameplay reasons or anything but we made the music have looping sections and transitions that were triggered at points in the dialogue purely for purposes of making it all fit and match and be nice but not having the time to wait until it was all recorded before recording the music <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of it just works really well with how the music sits in the world and the the gameplay and all all that stuff. I just literally finished it, um, <laughs> like the even more ridiculous last chapter, um, <laughs> like uh, of this evening before before we yeah. started before I had dinner. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very very enjoyable experience. And oh, I mean, good. 
Um, yeah, it's a fun thing. I think it doesn't. Uh, it's not too long, but it doesn't feel like it's too short either. Because yeah. it's sort of, as you said, it's kind of setting out to be a specific thing, which is it's telling this story. It's not uh, once the story is told, it's it, it, it's told. And obviously, it's been left nicely open for a potential sequel. Yeah, of course. Which is the best way of doing things, because. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll do the do some quick fire questions. Um, <laughs> so we'll go through go through these hopefully quickly, uh, but we'll see because mm-hmm. obviously normally elaborate and stuff. Um, so I know you you said you're not particularly much of a much of a gamer as as such, but what... well, I, I, prior to working at Sony, but then once uh, so I started working there, professional yeah. uh, professional curiosity requires you to. Uh, you know, uh, so since then, I've certainly played a lot more yeah. games. So, what what would be your your favourite game of all time? <sighs> well, it's tricky, isn't it? Right? I think it probably has to be the game that I've spent the most time playing, right? or the game that I have spent most time playing, and then looked at the clock and gone, "Oh, bloody hell!" <laughs> um, which be like any flavour of Civilization. But I think probably like three or four were the first ones. Three, four, five. I sort of a period of just be like, oh, I'll just have a quick, and then it would be the next day almost. Um, just really enjoyed that, and then like any game that is basically someone gives you a spreadsheet and says, please fill in all the information and collect all the things that go in all the cells in the spreadsheet. So. Like Skyrim, Oblivion, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, <laughs> all of that, that kind of uh, that kind of thing. Uh, I really, if it gets its hooks in me, then I will, uh, I, I will obediently attempt to collect all the things and take off all the all the things in the list. Um, I think probably as I've got older and played more of those, they have to have a bit more of like because it, it used to be just like any, regardless of what the game delighted to spend hours playing that and now i think well, I, I really enjoyed the last um the horizon sequel yes. of that kind of game i enjoyed that um and i didn't love uh the assassin's creed valhalla didn't float my boat for some reason but i think that might just be because i really enjoyed Odyssey. That was the Greek set one, right? Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that. That like probably got its claws in for the completing all the stuff and doing the things. Just uh, uh, so I think I was probably just Assassin's Creeded out by the time I played Val. <laughs> yeah. I kind of didn't realise how many there was until mm-hmm. I was kind of like, oh, I think I've got majority of them. Need to play some of them, and then looked and say, like, oh no, there's another like four that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, like, oh, yeah okay. there's a lot, and they're not all great. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, some of them are. Um, so yeah, that kind of thing. It's kind of a hard one to. So I was trying to think of something. Kerbal Space Program. And I think of something recent that I would have like reinstalled because I wanted to play it again, having uninstalled it. Can you do that? PC probably oldish now i think they were been working on a sequel for a while we have to build space rockets and fly them to fake moon and space and stuff hmm. 
cool. I think that's the, uh, you know, it's like a modern version of uh, Lego and the kind. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, going back to civilization, that that game's mm-hmm. a definition of oh, just one more turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like yeah, even even the yeah, it was one of my sort of first PC gaming experiences was mm-hmm. playing that, and yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure if I look on Steam, like my play times on Civilization mm-hmm. four and five are yeah. horrific. So definitely I understand that, was that one. One of the ones that was for whatever reason was on or okay with when my parents got a PC and that's so I was like oh what's this yeah that's exactly how I got it <laughs> uh, oh yeah just and the, the worst of like when it all goes terribly and you you know you're not going to win or you reach the end of time it's like oh well I'll just see what the next game would look like just do a little bit of exploring yeah it's it gets you <laughs> mm-hmm. so um your in, in terms of carrying on with the questions, your your mm. favourite musical artist, band, musician of all time. I mean, it's almost impossible. I think the, like a to like single out a you go oh well this person you go oh yeah but then this, this. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Herbie Hancock just for sort of broad spectrum of definitely listening to things and generally yeah general digging throughout his career. There we go. Flag is in the stand. That's it. <laughs> make make the decision. It's fine. Not allowed to listen to anyone else now. <laughs> Every all the other ones now. Everyone else is no longer your friend. <laughs> oh, <that's> the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of um your favourite um game soundtrack <sighs> Again, tricksy, but I think partly because it's like the first score that I really remember thinking, "Oh, I need to see if I can listen to this again." Be Shadow of the Colossus. Yes, this really like I thought it was like I noticed after playing bits of the game that the music had been like effective and good and stuff. I was just uh, so I think have to go for shadow of the colossus on that front yeah i mean but it's dead good in that <laughs> it is but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that was uh shadow of the colossus and ico just mm-hmm. uh they're just yeah i mean i've not i've not played the last guardian yeah and it's always like i i've i've heard mixed things that i don't want to play it in case it ruins the experience of the games before but they're separate things so it can't hurt me <laughs> well, I'll throw Shadow of the Colossus back into the favourite games category as well yeah I mean that's I mean it's it's the very definition of an epic game it's mm-hmm. it's it was just so especially the time it came out it was just so grand and it's like oh my god mm-hmm. the enemies are actual huge things mm-hmm. you have to climb to fight Ugh. It's just yeah. just amazing. I still remember the shock of. Uh, I feel like this isn't spoilers. It's uh, been out for a while. Um, the, <laughs> like the first few of the of the colossuses, colossi that you take down, you like if you fall off them or if they hit you, if you dodge them, it does 
some damage enough to worry, but not so much that you're like, oh, this is going to be problematic. Yeah. And then it's the, the one on a lake that flies at you. And you can see quite clearly where you're supposed to jump to and try and land, but it's a really tiny available bit. And we jumped, missed it, thinking well, I hadn't tried to be too accurate, so it doesn't matter if it hits me. And it smacked me all the way across the lake and nearly killed me. It was like, oh, things have changed. But that like, really felt like a, a deliberate, no, no, now you've learned how to deal with them. Now you need to really uh, be paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those where it's the, the difficulty cur- uh, curve went from, mm. we're gently nudging you into this to, you know what you're doing now. Get yeah. in there. Get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that, uh, I thought that was a great moment. And then... <laughs> similar similar sort of thing um in soundtracks your favorite film mm. or tv soundtrack Damn, it's a tricksy one right? there's various classics and like north by northwest uh, uh, bernard herman score just because the, the, the awesome um the original pinocchio score oh yeah is awesome from like many moons ago by Lee Harlein. Uh, it's um, it's just awesome. Uh, I mean, it's music all the way through because that's what the animated features were like back yeah. then. But it's great. Just the use of all the songs from it, weaving them in, and uh, the kind of loony tunes, all of that. Love that. More recent films, 1917, the Thomas Newman score is great. And like any Alan Silvestri, John Williams, obviously, but you don't, no one needs to bother mentioning him, right? That's just like <laughs> the given at the top. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. I like things with a big tune, I think. Yeah. We're old fashioned in that taste. Not that there's anything wrong with things that don't have a big tune. It's like, that's what I mean, from, from, a, from a film perspective, for us, like I like. Especially if it's got a, a theme, and it's, mm-hmm. got, like, it's got to have like something that really gets you, like really hard hitting, sort of not hard hitting, but like really gets stuck in your your head, little melody and stuff. It's like yeah. Mm-hmm. Which now, now you've mentioned John Williams, I've got the Jurassic Park theme tune stuck in my head. Yeah. But again, right. I, think, I had Indiana Jones in mind. So yeah. yeah, I mean the <laughs> the Jurassic Park one is probably more a personality defect with. My obsession with with that film and sound and soundtrack, but it could be worse things to be obsessed with in terms of music yeah, and film. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, then finally, your your favorite uh, just individual song from a or piece from a game soundtrack. Oh, well, I'm talking song. I might have to cheat and pick something from something that I worked on. But, uh, Clouds and Starlight from Jess's piece from Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Yeah. Nice. Was uh, partly like, I did think it was a really gorgeous piece of music that she wrote. Um, but also it was just really special being in the recording studio with the choir while they were singing. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the pump for that. I mean, that's, you're the first person that's picked one that, they've worked on <laughs> so well done. oh yeah sorry about that i did that I mean, i'm surprised I it took this I long i didn't write it i know, I know. Just, 
I mean, yeah, you kind of from that perspective as well. It's like it's it's had a had a profound impact on you because of because mm-hmm. of that. So you know, it's it works. It's fine. It's well, it's, mm-hmm. it's more than fine. It's a brilliant piece of music. So it's definitely an acceptable answer. You don't don't need to feel bad. <laughs> So I mean, quickly, um, I think there's kind of like two games that I've I've not really mentioned that you've worked on. Um, to kind of cover quickly. I mean, there's Creature in the Well, which mm-hmm. um, is the pinball inspired sort yeah. of dungeon fighter mm-hmm. out of a what was because um, that's got a slight. Bit. I mean, I may be wrong, but like a slight bit of electronic music in there. Mm-hmm. Was that like a bit of departure from what you're normally used to? Yeah, uh, to some extent. Um, actually, there's a lot more treated acoustic stuff in there than okay. is immediately apparent, which is kind of on purpose. Because, um, you know, the, the story of the game is that you're this uh, caretaker robot who's emerged out of the endless sandstorm to to fix this weather station via the medium of hack and slash pinball. Of course. Um, and uh, I wanted the music to be mechanical, because he's mechanical and electronic, but to kind of suggest his heart, I guess, or his sort of looking after people and his um, slightly falling apart bit. So... Uh, there are some just sort of straight up synth things in there, but also like I made a bass sound by swinging a guitar cable near a broken light yeah. and recording the one 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 hum. And, um, there's lots of sort of messed up slide guitar and, and weird guitar noises in it. Um, so although it all sort of ends up electronic, it um, it has an organic origin and also just personally. Though I wanted those electronic sounds. Um, like I said, I'm not very good with synths. I yeah. can't figure out how to make those <laughs> sounds with synths, but I can figure out how to get a, a guitar and, and mess with it and turn it into the sound I want. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the different journeys to get in the mm-hmm. probably similar results. Yeah. And, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you're more familiar with the the orga- making an organic sound sound mechanical rather than the other way around then it's kind of what works best really yeah i was i it was um it was a lot of fun to do lots of sort of messing around and, yeah and making weird noises and stuff and it was an interesting game because the gameplay is really frenetic and lively but because of that because there were going to be so much uh, sound effects for yeah. all the, the ball going around and pinging we decided that came from the game designers as well that the music shouldn't be doing the sort of standard action up because then there'd just be no space in the soundscape. So it's much more ambient with the idea that the sound design is kind of adding the the crazy yeah. action with upping the heart rate side of it and the music is more about the mood and the, the creepiness and the and the what's going on there. Yeah. I mean you get the with that sort of thing as well, it's very much the sound design's gonna make well yeah make the action happen but then when there's mm-hmm. nothing happening with that kind of game you almost want it to be like ominously quiet or like mm-hmm. you know just yeah. make you feel tense and that you're about mm-hmm. to get murdered <laughs> in a nice way 
maybe i don't know um, <laughs> but um and the uh, the other game the one that's i think it's the most recent one that's uh mm-hmm. just been released that you've done work on was warhammer total war 3 mm-hmm. so i mean i've not played it but also i'm very familiar with total war and warhammer mm-hmm. so i imagine that was kind of very uh like medieval yeah it's a big orchestral of. yeah sort of a uh a similar grandeur to a lord of the rings without yes. sounding like lord of the rings if you see what i mean <laughs> um you know that kind of scope and with different kinds of music for the different factions yeah um and lots of people working on that. what i was really doing on that was working on the map music okay which was um a kind of interesting interactive orchestration compositional puzzle so they were working on uh, a, uh, <clears throat> a, a, a a sort of semi-generative music system for the map yeah obviously it's kind of the area that the player is going to be for most of the time but you want the music to be pretty ambient and, and backgroundy um they were really keen uh it's better the audio directs really keen that the music reacts to where you are on the map so you what factions you're looking at are you at war with them all of that kind of thing um and so jack there had begun working on a system to sort of take music and have it be affected by the map um and we wanted to try and figure out a way to do that that didn't take composers away from doing like the big the battle music and the you know those big sort of set pieces and things that gave yeah. them time to concentrate on that rather than having to write 17 different ambient pieces because the player's going to be in there for 50 hours or something you don't want to <laughs> bore them with repetition so what we ended up doing in a potted version is there are drone layers that are affected by how much evil good and neutral factions you can see yeah and that's all orchestral then there are pulsing layers, which are orchestral and world instruments and percussion, and that's to do with who you're at war with and how many people are in war. Then there are phrases derived from the music of all the cultures and who you're currently focused on that will randomly play in little snatches of stuff, and they can, in a call and response, and if you move while the call's playing, you get a response from the faction you're now focused on. And all of that kind of subtly mixes and moves around all the time that you're moving so that you don't hear repetition doesn't take you out of it but it you sense that it is reacting to where you are on the map um i think we worked out like all the possible variations of uh, of combinations of uh, of the various assets meant there was uh, there's a, enough variations for a thousand years of music although it has been said that a lot of those years would be very very similar <laughs> but, uh, um yeah so that was a really interesting combining the technical side of it and the music side of it trying to work out how we could have like a seamless experience for the user that just had the correct emotional connection yeah but that was actually doing quite a lot of crazy technical stuff in the background yeah I mean, again, I've not played it, but that sounds like really fascinating with how yeah you can move around the map, and even mm-hmm. even if you've got the same map, uh, 
two different mm. times depending on what factions you're at war with mm. and stuff it can play different things it's really yeah really cool and i mean that level of detail for and i know they're the total war games you spend a lot of time mm. in the maps but even just for a, a map when you think mm. the game's got like all these you know big orchestral battle themes and stuff like mm-hmm. that it's really cool i mean did uh going you mentioned when like you first started working for sony you kind of got got into gaming as part of it did you have to have to take up playing warhammer to to get into the mode of that i played some of it i was very very bad at it <laughs> i mean obviously in development there are things to help you if you're bad at the game great secret um but <laughs> um uh yeah i was really terrible at it i haven't played it for i played it a long time ago yeah you know, total war in general, but uh, just the level of uh, like intricacy and stuff in the, in the planning and stuff. I, uh, I guess that's the difference playing something when you're working on it, like playing something when you're playing it, like learning to get yeah. good at it. That's like part of the uh, that's part of the enjoyment of it, isn't it? But when you just want to get to the end of a level to check that something's working, yeah, it's <laughs> different. It's a different thing. I mean, I always mm-hmm. imagine it's one of those things now where I say, yeah, I played it. When I was much younger, and if I play it now, I'll go go there and get beat by like a ten year old child and feel feel <laughs> really really bad about myself. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I think that's kind of like uh, most of the games that have mm-hmm. been out recently. Um, what is, is there anything in the on the radar there for are future things in the offing? But uh, as is the way. NDAs have been signed to the hills. Yeah. Um, since the projects aren't announced yet, I can't uh, can't talk about them, unfortunately. But uh, some fun things that hopefully people are going to enjoy. Yeah. And some music that I've enjoyed writing, so hopefully people will enjoy listening to it. Yeah. I mean, I for one will. Um, I mean, in terms of keeping up with yourself, is your Twitter mm-hmm. and website the best best places? For yeah. That? I mean, I'm bad at social media, but yes, Twitter is. <laughs> Twitter is the place that I uh, that, uh, that I say things on Instagram. Yeah. Instagram occasionally has photos of uh, vegetables in my garden. Well. I did I did notice on your because you got the, the feed <laughs> on your website and I was like oh that's and I was like I, I don't don't know if I've, I've missed something they just look like vegetables and not because yeah. I didn't realise on your website it was actually your Instagram feed. It's like I'm not sure yeah. the relevance of this. <laughs> and I was like, then I kind of realised it was that I was like oh okay yeah you've you've just grown some vegetables and that's I grew some shallots and I was very pleased with myself. <laughs> I mean, shallots uh, need need much more representation in the world because they are much better than onions mm. and. That's that's a very specific hill I will die on. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of came to the end of the questions I had for yourself, mm-hmm. Jim. Um, I mean, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. Is there anything you'd like to add at all? Oh, I thanks very much for asking me. It's been fun chatting. Enjoyed oh, it. Yeah. I enjoyed it lots too. And, yeah, thanks once again for your time. I mean, gone, gone over the hour that I said, but, oh. yeah my bad (laughs) and I'd once again like to thank Jim for taking the time out of his schedule to chat to myself you can find more information about his works on his website Twitter page and Instagram which are all linked in the episode bio the next episode of Beats and Bleeps will be going live on the 13th of October at 9am UK time I want to thank you very much for listening and supporting the podcast I hope you have a wonderful day